The idea of encouragement is a critical concept in the New Testament. 109 times Christians are encouraged in one form or another to encourage each other. They're reminded, this is what you're called to do. This is who you're called to be. And it's because everybody needs it from time to time. Even someone like Paul, who is, in my mind, a spiritual superhero, who does unbelievable things in the name of Jesus. He spreads the gospel all over the known world, and he sometimes humble brags himself about what he's gone through to do that, where he's like, oh, I've been shipwrecked, and there's a snake bite. There's all this stuff that he has experienced because he's so passionate about the gospel. But even someone like Paul, he gets discouraged at times. There's two different times that Paul finds himself in prison in Rome. The first time he's under house arrest and people are able to come and go a bit. It's a little bit more comfortable. But then the second time he gets arrested and put into prison, he's in a dungeon. And it's hard for people to come and visit him. And he's very much feeling alone. And there's a melancholy spirit in this letter that he writes that we have. It's called Second Timothy. So in the first chapter of Second Timothy, Paul says, this. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelius and Hermogenes. And if I'm Phygelius and Hermogenes, I'm like, hold up. Like, come on. That's a little rough. Like, everyone's deserted you. Why are you calling us out by name? And the only thing we know about these two people is that they, like, sold Paul out at the end of his life, which is, like, a pretty terrible thing uh, to be known for. And they're like, come on, man. Everybody deserted you. It wasn't just us. And so he mentions those at the very beginning, and frankly, he's discouraged about it. These people who were, like, very important to me, who I've ministered to, who have I tried to help, like, where are they at now? And then he continues, May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesephorus, because he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, He searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in the many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So he calls out a couple people and the whole province of Asia in general that he knows. And then he says, but there's this one guy. And he didn't give up on me. And he showed up even though it was hard. And it cost him a lot. He tells us about this one person who comes and finds him. He's alone and desperate, really wondering what's going to happen next. And I don't want those of you who are watching at home to feel like this is some sort of passive-aggressive sermon trying to get you to come in person, because that's not what this is. I've talked to many people this week who said, I'm going to get my vaccine in a couple weeks, I'll be there. And that, that's totally understandable. We, we want you uh, to feel comfortable when you come, are coming back. So I definitely wanted to say that uh, to those of you who are watching and not feel like, geez, Brian, like, it could have been a little more obvious. But that is, this is not what this sermon is about at all. But I hope that you have learned, I hope that all of us have learned during COVID, just the power of presence what it means when you show up places. When you don't have concerts to go to, when you don't have church to go to, when you don't have sporting events 
to go to, when birthday parties have been canceled, when things have happened that you never would have imagined. I hope that you remember forever just how much your presence matters. Because what does Paul give this guy Onesephorus praise for? He showed up. Your presence matters. Your most valuable resource is your undivided attention. Someone pays you, if you have a job, a full-time job, someone pays you to think about projects and things that are going on because you have a special gift and they want you to give your undivided attention to something. And specifically with Onesephorus, who's a name I'm sure nobody heard of before today, unless you're a Second Timothy scholar, and I don't think we have any Second Timothy scholars uh, in the room uh, today. What's interesting about him is he shows up even though it's scary. It says he, he searched for me very hard, and, and he found me. It wasn't an easy thing for him to do. And imagine what it's like to show up to like, find somebody who is on death row, basically. It's risky. It's hard. But Paul, who is this spiritual superhero, and at times when he's in this same moment in prison in Philippians, he writes, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He writes with such boldness about facing his death. But what scares Paul is not dying, but dying alone. Onesephorus shows up. Later in this letter, Paul says to Timothy, who he has mentored, I wish I could be with you just one more time. Think about who that might be for you. Maybe you lost someone during COVID. Or maybe it's a mother or a sibling that just passed too soon. Who in your mind would you think, oh, I wish I could see you just one more time. Presence matters. It matters when we show up for each other. And it makes an unbelievable difference. And unfortunately, I don't know that we're all that good at remembering that. Loneliness is an issue that is unbelievably difficult for people to deal with. There was a Surgeon General, so the U.S. Surgeon General named Vivek Murphy. He wrote an article, which I would highly recommend checking out, about loneliness that was released in 2019. And so he was in this position of U.S. Surgeon General, and he writes about this issue, and he says that loneliness is an unbelievable problem facing us. And so he says this, During my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. The elderly man who came to our hospital every week was looking for human interaction. I found that loneliness was often in the background of clinical illness, making it harder for patients to cope and heal. So in this article, he, he talks about this in unbelievable ways. And this was pre-COVID that the U.S. Surgeon General is talking about. This isn't like a pastor who like, you know, you guys should all show up more often. This isn't like some just like a psychologist or somebody who's like trying to get people. It's the U.S. Surgeon General who calls in this article loneliness an epidemic. And this was pre-COVID. Because we're all around each other not as connected as we need to be. He goes on to cite a study that talks about how showing up to a certain place, being part of a community at least once a week, has 
great health benefits. In fact, he said, you likely will live longer if you do that, if you smoke, if you drink, and eat terribly. That's what he says. So some churches have talked about how they need to start a join a small group or die campaign because it's real. And it makes a difference. Like you being part and seeing people, and obviously our Sunday morning gatherings are wonderful for that, where we get a chance to share in community. And we've heard some great stories in our sermon series on encouragement about how just how much it matters when somebody shows up for you. But the thing is, like it really deeply affects you. I'll always remember when I first started in ministry, there was a group of old men, about 20 of them, who would play Baccarat on the corner, and they were doing some sort of gambling. I could never really quite figure it out, but I went out there and tried to figure out what it was that they were doing, and I used to joke that we should count them in our attendance, because on Sunday mornings they were even there, and they're technically on church property. So I was like, we should count those, those 20 old men. And it was interesting. I, I tried to interact and talk with them uh, when, when I could. They, they were nice guys, but what was interesting is as you would watch this, and you'll see this in like, different forms of communities like all around, there were some who would actually play all the time, but most of them were just there. Like they weren't showing up for the Baccarat. They were showing up to be with each other. And especially as a man, you can't be like, I'm going to go hanging out with my friends. No, you like pretend that you're going to play a game, but in reality, most of you are there just like the show Cheers would tell us, a place where everybody knows your name. Because it matters. And it makes a difference. And our world is facing an epidemic of this where we all are, are somewhat connected, but not in the deep ways that our souls desperately need. Because we need people to show up. And this is something that is hard at times to step outside of yourselves and, and, and to be able to, to be there for somebody, but it matters deeply. One of the things that I've learned over my time is Anytime that somebody is in the hospital, I want to try to get there if I can because it just, it matters. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to do that. Just this week when our friend Tony Pino was in the hospital, and Tony, we are all praying for you. He's back home, which is really wonderful, um, and he's still recovering from pneumonia, but we're continuing to keep him in prayer. Like my pastor muscle, when somebody tells me that they're in the hospital, it just, it just goes off because that's what I want to do. I want to go because I know just how much it matters, not being there and saying the right thing, but just being a presence. It makes a huge difference. And again, I just hope if you've learned nothing else during COVID, just think about how much your presence matters. And it's something that anybody can do because anybody can show up. Anybody can recognize, like, I don't fully understand just how much it means that I'm at this thing or, or at this place. I'm, you know, there's something so special that we've missed about, you know, going to movies and being in, in those spaces, even though it's with people we don't even know, because presence matters. I think of the end, toward the end of the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is talking about the day of judgment, and he has sheep on one side and goats on the other. And if you sat on the goat side, I'm sorry, but he has this separation and it's this judgment scene. And I've heard that goats in the Middle East, that area, they're very often like with, with dark black fur. And so if you think about it from that perspective, you have the, the sheep who are on one side and those are the people who have done what God has called them to do. They, they've lived out God's calling on their life. They've done good things in the name of Jesus, even though they didn't know that it was Jesus that they were serving. And the goats, sorry again, 
or those who didn't, those who ignored the needs that were around them, those who didn't show up. Jesus, as he is talking to the sheep first, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to drink in Matthew 25. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you look after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I have thought about this passage before, I've often to, as I've just considered it, I've thought about people who are in poverty and in specifically Los Angeles, you're driving around and seeing the homeless population. And I think about all of those needs. And as I was rethinking about this and in the context of this sermon, I was thinking about how that is definitely 100% yes. This includes people who are in poverty, people who are in all parts of the world who we can bless uh, with our generosity and with our time and in our efforts. So it certainly includes people who have unbelievable needs. But I was rethinking this passage a bit about how you were hungry. You gave me something to drink. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. It's hospitality, right? It's not necessarily just for people who are like desperately hungry or desperately thirsty. I was hungry. We're all going to be hungry at lunch. Unfortunately, we can't eat together as much as we would like to right now, but eventually we're going to get a chance to have meals together. And it's not just for people in poverty who have great need. Because in reality, we all have great need all the time. We need the type of connection that comes from sitting around a table, having a meal. We need the kind of connection that comes from slowing down and giving each other the great gift of our undivided attention and presence. We need to have places and spaces where we show up regularly, because one day you're going to show up and you're going to rescue me. And one day I'm going to show up and I'm going to rescue you, because that's how life works. And to be this kind of person, it's just a different perspective. It's not a what's-in-it-for-me type thing. Onesephorus, who, again, you likely have never even heard of before today, he goes and he does this unbelievable thing, and he just says, I'm not going to worry about the cost. I'm going to love generously, and it's generous love that truly changes the world. And again, it's not just for people who are in great need and great poverty. It's about us showing up and having meals together and consistently showing the love of God to each other and encouraging each other deeply. What would it look like for you to recognize the power of your presence? To realize the gift that you have because you are a living, breathing person. To not settle for the cheap version of community that oftentimes I think we kind of settle for. 
there's a group of, of my friends, there's about 15 of us from college that we get together for March Madness every year. And it's interesting to see how that trip has, has changed. We actually have not done it over the last two years, don't worry. Um, we haven't because of COVID, unfortunately. Hopefully we'll get back uh, together again. But one thing that has changed over the course of that trip is our eating habits. We used to show up and we would get uh, at least a couple of these, a couple um, of these cheese puffs, um, the Utz brand cheese puffs, and we would just hammer those cheese puffs and we would just go, go through them. There, there was a time that we put it in the microwave and heated it up for like a minute and 30 seconds to see what would happen. It's really gross. Don't do it. It smells terrible. Uh, but like, what's happened over the course of that trip, like a few years ago recently, we had, had our usual cheese puffs and we were like, this isn't good for us to eat anyway. This is horrible. And they don't even taste all that good. They're kind of stale on their own. Some of you are like, how, how did you ever eat that? But we did. We, back in the day when we were first coming out of college and, and having that trip together. And I think when it comes, unfortunately, to community in our world today, we're doing the cheese puff version. It's not very satisfying. It's you know, texting some people. And texting is nice. It's nice to text people every once in a while, but we're seeing things on social media not showing up. So we're living with this, like, sense of faux community, kind of somewhat in the background of life and not really showing up anywhere and giving our real heart to anything. So I hope that you've learned that during this time. Just how much your presence matters. How much it makes a difference. So I think about the message of the Bible. That God wanted us to understand the love that God has for us. So what does God do? God shows up in the form of Jesus. He says, you want me to show you what this love looks like? All right. Here it is. And I think of Paul in this moment writing and calling out a couple people, which may be not fair, but he calls out a couple and a few more who aren't mentioned and then he says, but there's this one. He just kept me going. As I look at Paul's life and ministry, honestly, it's somewhat unbelievable. How, how do you possibly do that? How do you go so hard for Jesus? How do you face all of these persecutions? I think about all this stuff, and sometimes I just think he's more than human. But I'd love for you, uh, if you have a Bible or have your phones, hopefully it's not connected to our Wi-Fi, um, if you uh, could uh, take a moment and look at Romans chapter 16. If you ever read the book of Romans and you've come to Romans 16, you're probably like, all right, this is a, a chapter that I skipped because it's just a list of names. Like Phoebe was there, and she did this. And let me tell you how much I love this person. I don't like pronouncing their names too much because they're really complicated and I have to practice. But all of these people 
Like, let me tell you about this person. And he mentions 29 people by name and then others as well. He says, and, and greet their whole family who, who did this for me. Think about how Paul did all of this amazing stuff for God. And in some ways, it's almost mythical in what he does. But when you read a chapter like this, you see it's people like that that were his fuel. The way that he writes with such fondness about these people and just the thought that he has about all that he's experienced with them, the things that he's gone through with them, and he just can't help but name all of these people. And it's just like over and over again, he's saying, what about this one? And what about this one? And what about this one? I think for me, these are chapters that we often just read right past, but I think about what it would look like if you or I was to write our Romans 16 chapter about the people who have in the past been an encouragement to us in our faith and the people who presently are such an encouragement. The people that really were Paul's fuel. If I was to write my Romans 16, I'd think of people who have passed on from our church, who I love dearly. I think of Lincoln and Cecilia Spear, who are here today, and who for, I don't know, 30 years served communion, right? Every single Sunday, maybe longer. What, what's the count? You guys have an idea? 44 years. All right, I was a little low. Sorry about that. Sorry to insult you. 44 years. They showed up and served communion. And I don't want to mention too many more people because I don't want to offend somebody who I get off the list, but my list would be long. And I look out and see so many faces who, who would be on that list. And those of you who are at home who would be on that list. Like how was Paul able to do this unbelievable stuff? It's because he had people like this who he had shared life deeply with. And when he starts this chapter, he just can't help but just go on and on. Because presence matters and sharing life together matters. I hope that you always remember from this time just how much it means to show up. And I hope you'll gather with us in person when you feel comfortable. I hope you'll always remember just how much it means. Because it changes the world. I wanted to have Sam Holland share a little bit about a time that I knew that somebody showed up for her, so I've asked her to come and share that right now. But I hope that this week you'll think about your Romans 16 list, perhaps some people who, who come to mind who just bring a fondness in your spirit. And I hope you'll remember just how much showing up matters. So thank you, Sam, for being willing to share. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, good morning to everyone in person and everyone out there online. And um, I, I just wanted to share my story of a time that I guess I needed a rescue and a time that um, someone uh, from this church showed up for me. 
Um, I mean, so, so, so many different people have showed up for me over the years, but this one really stands out. So this was back in 2015. Um, and one thing that <laughs> I, I, I've gotten used to LA driving, but um, this was like my worst car accident I've literally, knock on wood, ever had, and hopefully will will never have again. Um, it was it was really bad. I had gotten, um, I guess you would say, T-boned, and I couldn't even get out of the left side of my car. And it was one of those things where I had to crawl over to the passenger side, get out, and when I took a look at my car, I just literally lost it and started bawling. So I was a hot mess, basically. And, um, you know, <laughs> there are so many different things that go th through your head uh, when something like that happens. And the first thing is like, okay, I got to call. I did, I, I hit my head, so I had to call 911, let them know. Um, then I called my mom. <laughs> and, um, and... So I, I talked uh, through everything with her, and she heard me hysterically. And I know as a mom, we were actually having a conversation about this a couple days ago. Uh, she's saying, you know, being a mom and then being 2,000 miles away from your child and your child is bawling and you can't be there for them, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I'm sure it's, it's gut-wrenching for all you mothers, you understand. Um, so as, as we're calling or having this conversation, she's like, is there anyone you can call to just be there for you, just to come, come over there and, and be there? And, you know, it was one of those things that I, I, I took a pause and I thought, and it was one of those things that uh, the same name came to both of our minds at that time, um, and that was Jim Settlemeyer who, um, Jim, you're probably online right now, so um, hi. <laughs> and um, so one thing that uh, I think that Christmas before, even Jim and Teresa had told my mom, you know, like, we are, we are here for Samantha, and um, just let us know if there's anything we can do. Just let us know. And so uh, that was in the front of her mind, and then I just the name came to me. It was almost like God was saying, you need to call Jim. And so, again, I was a hot mess. I was like, but I got to do all these other things. And my mom's like, okay, you take care of calling the insurance. I'm going to call Jim. I'm going to get a hold of him. And so, um, so when she called him, um, she, I'm sure, was a frantic mess. And I'm sure Jim tell you more about how, how this crazy woman was calling, saying like, oh, help my daughter. Um, but Jim, she, re she recalled Jim being very cool, very calm and collected. And he said, well, you told me this intersection where she is. I'm pretty close to that right now. Why don't I just go ahead and, and drive over there? Don't worry about it. I, we're going to take care of her. And um, who knows if he was really there <laughs> that close to that intersection but but he showed up and uh i just remember the moment he got there i just i i went to him and, and just like bawled into you know in in an embrace and, and just bawled and and gave him a really big hug and he gave me a really big hug too and um 
I just remember him being this very solid, um, firm presence that just really helped ground me in the craziness. And he helped me, you know, get a rental car. Uh, at one point, he called my mom. He said, uh, yeah, so she's all squared away. We got her a Lamborghini. I hope that's okay. <laughs> so he was, he, you know, stay with his, um, his sense of humor, of course. And, you know, when my mom and I reflect upon that situation, we really think about how being out here in California, I have a family. I have so many individuals who I think of as moms and dads out here. Um, and it's reassuring for me, it's also reassuring for my parents in Texas that they, there's some pseudo moms and dads to help take care of us, uh, take care of me. So I just wanted to say thank you, Jim. Thank you so much uh, for showing up. And I just, um, I recommend for all of you to uh, to not only show up if you can, but also just uh, be open to, to asking for someone to show up. Uh, because sometimes it's hard to ask for help, but in those moments, that's exactly what you need at that right time. So, uh, so thank you, Jim. And yeah, oh, that's what I got. It's great seeing you all. Bye-bye.